Welcome to the Mechanical Inc. podcast, a collection of conversations about the open source ecosystem. We speak with maintainers and companies that play a key role in ensuring the health and sustainability of open source today and in the future. Hey, Elena, and uh, welcome to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Hey, Schalk. Good to be here. So um, before we get into any questions, please tell us more about yourself, your background, how you came to do what you do, and what gets you up in the morning? <laughs> sure. Um, so my name is Elena Lape. If you're wondering what last name that is, I'm originally from Lithuania, um, but kind of ended up all over the world. So uh, I'm the founder of Holopin, which is a gamification and digital badge platform, uh, not NFTs. That, uh, that seems to be quite important to mention. Um, my background is in software development and um, open source, um, as well as developer communities, really. So I got into it um, around the time when I was in university, I think. Um, I really wanted to build things outside of classes. So I discovered hackathons and they sort of opened um, up the world of developers and developer communities um, and open source really uh, to me. And so since then, um, I've been organizing them, participating in them and uh, got into developer tools eventually as uh, I just really loved building. So some of the interesting things I've done. Um, I used to be at GitHub um, where uh, I ran uh, partnerships for a product called the Student Developer Pack, um, which is a program for students to give them access to lots of different uh, tools for free, not just um, GitHub. And then uh, ended up working in various uh, software engineering and uh, community building and developer relations roles as well. So I've always sort of worked on the tech side, um, as well as on that uh, on the communications and uh, community building side. And so all through that, um, Holopin emerged. <laughs> so I've been working on Holopin over, well, I think the company was founded about a year and a half ago now. Um, and that was really uh, as I, I wanted to find a way for... Uh, to make to make the relationship or to help companies uh, build more wholesome relationships with developers. Um, so reward them, incentivize them, uh, encourage them, contribute to open source, and say thank you in a way that is uh, really useful and really fun for developers. So that's what's been uh, getting me up in the morning as well as nights. Um, Life's interesting, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's me. Nice, yeah, that's that's lovely. And I I didn't know about the GitHub thing. I somehow missed that, but we'll dig into that a little bit more um, later. It's so weird how it's such a small world. Um, you keep running into people that has connections with others or companies or things like that. It just happened to me last night again. I was speaking to some other folks that I'll be speaking to tomorrow for the Mycelium Network podcast, and turns out. The one person the call um, was, uh, so I had a guest on the Mycelium Network who started the Women Who Code 
um, network in Mexico, uh, specifically in one of the uh, largest cities over there. And turns out the person that I'm going to be speaking to tomorrow was her co-founder. And it was just, nice. I had no idea. I was like, she was mentioning how she got involved with Women in Code. And I was like, this sounds very familiar. And I looked up the episode and I said, do you know Pamela Rodriguez? And she was like, Pamela? It's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, she started. I was like, what? No way. <laughs> now you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think familiar names there. Yeah, yeah. So small world. Um, okay, so I learned about Holopin through Hacktoberfest in 2022. And then me and you have had email conversations for what? It's coming up to almost a year now um, yes. regarding Holopin and just generally about badging and, and all these kinds of things. And I've really appreciated that a lot. Um, you have a lot of a positive attitude and a lot of energy, and I appreciate that. Um, and it comes across even in email, which is not easy because <laughs> it's just text. But um, And I think it's needed in, in the open source world. Like my experience has always been largely positive. Now, it probably has to do with what, who I present as, a white male, um, because I've, I have heard that this is not the case for everybody. Um, and some people have had really negative experiences, so much so that they avoid contributing to open source at all. Um, so, I mean, that's partly why I started this podcast and what a lot of my work is focused on is trying to understand why this is happening and is there anything we can do to, to make this better? Um, so I wonder, how do you, how does one cultivate a positive and welcoming mindset? And then how do you bring that to your work in open source? Yeah. So I think that sort of, well, the, the negative experiences um, can stem really from, well, two things that, are, that, that come to mind. So one is uh, something that we've been seeing recently in particular, um, which is uh, commercial companies, for-profit companies, releasing open source projects just for the sake of releasing something to the open source because it's quite a buzzword right now and community building and all that stuff and developer relations, blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's do it. Then they just drop that project, expect that everyone will uh, straight go use it, contribute, um, and the community will sort of build itself out, sort itself out. There's no concrete really plan in place. There's no managers. There's no strategy. Um, and so that's, I think, then from what I've seen it's it's just a bit of a bit of a chaos, I think, to to build uh, a welcoming community or a welcoming project successfully. You need to think a little bit more about what you're going to do. Um, some of the other sort of negative um, experiences, really, uh, I've seen or had were when there's not really a process or the hierarchy of a project is rather kind of rigid. So it's someone who really takes um, a lot of, I mean, taking pride in ownership in a project is, well, a good thing because the opposite is also not great. But um, it gets to the point where uh, inviting others, uh, perhaps the maintainer thinks that it's hurting their ego, um, 
if, uh, if, if we want to make changes. So bringing in a positive, um, positive outlook there. I think from a maintainer's perspective, you always need to think what is a thing or what are the things that I can bring that are very personal and very positive to the contributor and to the user um, and sort of not seeing your contributor base and your contributor community or user community. They don't always have to be all contributors. Um, seeing them as a, as people and as a, I don't want to overuse the word community because I know that is like such a buzzword, but seeing them as a community people with their own interests, with their own jobs, um, with aspirations, rather than just an audience. Um, so you need to be talking with them rather than at them. And so I, to, to make that sort of more welcoming, and really I think this is part of why, why I started Holopin, um, having a great onboarding experience um, and sort of making that very first step um, very easy is, uh, is something that I've always advised and something that I look for when I want to do something or contribute to a project. That can be done through, uh, well, taking example from uh, programming languages, when you want to test something out, the first example is always printing or console logging hello world. So it has to be something super quick, something super simple, and something that gives back that sort of positive reinforcement right away. So creating an issue, reporting a bug, um, or just saying hello really to the maintainers of the community should be should take the least effort possible. So when that lowers the barrier to entry for everybody, then the folks who are not as familiar with open source, who are maybe new developers, who maybe don't even know what open source is, it doesn't feel as scary. Because, you know, when you've got all these big companies, or like I said, maintainers do may seem a bit rigid. Um, it Yeah, it just lowers the barrier to entry. Um, and so from there, uh, having a clear path on how to be, well, for the user and for the contributor, um, how to be useful and how making changes or proposing changes benefits them personally in a way. Um, is really what uh, what I think drives drives the strategy and, and um, creates some more positive experience for everybody. Yeah, I think I think one of the key things you mentioned there is like language matters. Um, so and, and so how you how you mm, how did what how can I say this? How do you how you view the people that is involved with the project? Like there's a very big difference between calling somebody an audience and calling somebody a community. Um, and that that's also going to guide a lot of your decisions and how you're going to talk to them. You, you'll, you talk very differently to an audience than you do to a community. Because usually if you think about community, you think that it's, it's a bunch of people that have each other's best interest in mind. Um, with an audience... Maybe there's some of that there, but generally um, it feels more like you said, like a, a one-way street, like information is going down, not much is coming back up. Um, and also it tends to be that there isn't as much transparency. 
um, when mm. it's the audience. If you're in a community, it's important to be transparent because everybody's impacted by the decisions somebody in the community makes. Like if you live somebody somewhere and somebody in the community decides they're not going to clean up their, their garden anymore, it's going to affect everybody else in the community because now you have this one house that stands out like a sore thumb. And um, it's like, why Why are you doing this? Like, can we help? Is it that you need help or anything like that? Um, you know, so there's that side to it too, recognizing when there's a problem and then wanting to help um, because you really care. Whereas with an audience, you might just push those people out. It's like, you're a troublemaker, get away. We don't need this in our lives. So I think that is pretty key as how you think about it and the language you use is also important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I um, when I would consult uh, companies who either want to get into open source or who want to kind of build a build a community, um, the first really presentation that I do is how to separate the two. So what's a community? What's an audience? And how to how to think about it. Ultimately, um, as you said, a community is, is a group of people with shared values. Um, it's not just interests that binds them. Because if you go to any, well, if you go to a concert, an Ed Sheeran concert, you'll get a crowd and they're, uh, you know, they're an audience. They all have the same interests. But if you go to some Ed Sheeran fan forums, like, that's different. You know, it's their values. It's the rest of their personality that really binds them together it's that common sort of goal um so it's very similar in open source and i think not just in open source and in software development as well when um when you want to relate to developers yeah agree so holopin what is holopin how did this idea originate and evolve into what it is today and what is it exactly today Ooh, you're asking the right person <laughs> so Yes, Holofin. Um, Holofin is a digital badge platform. Um, so companies or users now as well um, can create and issue digital badges to other people, which then they can share on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, they can put them on their websites, their GitHub, GitLab profiles, um, Discord as well. Uh, our integrations are really, well, the, the whole group of them is growing. Um, and so companies can issue them uh, or organizations or users can issue them uh, using uh, our APIs, um, again, other automated integrations like GitHub, um, email, QR codes, and they can make them unique to each, uh, each person or, uh, or, or kind of the same. And so the whole platform really was modeled after laptop stickers, uh, and it's kind of how it came about. So this was about, yeah, about two years ago now. Um, I was changing over my laptop um, and I was a bit upset that I couldn't take my stickers off my other laptop and put it on the new one. Um, and then that thought kind of spiraled into thinking that, what is it about stickers, really? Um, and why is it such a such a key thing for developers really in general. I mean, if you go to any hack, any tech conference, any tech event, um, you can tell a lot more than just developers' interests really even um, by looking at what sorts of stickers 
they've gotten their laptop. It's the, I mean, they're really conversation starters. They show a developer's journey, um, what events they've been to, what programming languages they're happy to advertise for free. Essentially, they like them so much. Um, it's very unique. And so, yeah, I, you know, couple that with the frustration that I couldn't take mine off. Um, that's kind of how Holopin was born. Um, and so we made sure that the badges um, that people receive um, and people, <clears throat> people are able to send are, uh, are very sticker-like and that they're fun and that sort of the emotion and the feelings that it incites to send them and receive them um, is similar to, to physical ones. So the stickers are kind of like they have a white border, so they look fun. Um, and then uh, we also have features like a digital badge board where you can literally stick the stickers on the badge board. Um, and they're also unique credentials. So each of them have a unique, uh, unique uh, reference, unique ID, which allows them um, to be embedded um, as certificates and uh, used as, uh, for instance, um, in your LinkedIn section, um, you can reference it as a certificate. So really the, the possibilities there um, and use cases are anything from community member recognition um, open source contributions um, if you want to say thank you to someone in a wholesome way in a way that you know the developer can then show off um, but also things like completing courses and uh, and sort of educational or employment um, achievements and then there are tons of different little other features like evolving badges which is kind of like a Tamagotchi experience where the badge like literally changes its appearance is to gain more points that we call hollow bites. Um, and uh, some other ones are coming. So it's a gamification and a digital badge platform. Um, and they're not NFTs. We had to make that uh, decision early on and decided against it. Yeah, <clears throat> I think that was a good decision. Yeah, it's a super fun platform. Like I've used it a little bit for the MySQL network um, community. And uh, I will be using it more going forward this year with some of the ideas we have. But yeah, it's a, it's a super fun um, platform to use. It's easy to use. It works well. It, it does everything that you would expect it to do. And all the features you keep launching is just well thought through and well executed. So yeah, it's a really good product. Um, talking about, yeah, talking about uh, recognition and that this is a form of doing that, um, one of the projects I'm involved in is the MDN WebDocs project. And um, last year, we initiated two programs, one that we call Invited Experts, which we're probably going to change to, um, what is it, uh, Subject Matter Experts. Um, it seems to be a better wording for that. And then the Spotlight Contributor Program, which is a way for us to recognize somebody that has gone above and beyond to contribute to the project. Um, <clears throat> And one of the other things that I that we did is we updated our documentation ar around community and how you contribute and that kind of stuff. And I came across the CNCF's project template, and they talked about um, the importance of a contributor ladder. And so we've also introduced that kind of thing. This is a long way of saying, like, we really work hard on that project to recognize the contributions of individuals and groups of people. Um, I know that this is a topic that you 
um, have thoughts on. So I would love to know why are your thoughts concerning the importance of contributor recognition? And I think we've kind of touched on it already, but if there's anything extra you'd yeah. want to add. Yeah, so the importance of, of contributor recognition. Um, so I, I think, yeah, when, whether it's companies or individuals, release things out the open um, to open source and expect essentially others to, you know, really, especially when it's not necessarily yet a massive project that, uh, well, um, touches so many parts of software that millions and millions of people use. Um, encouraging people to, you know, create that issue or fix that bug um, can be a, a, a tough sell, really. So what recognition helps with and what rewards help with is they help the developer to see the benefit um, or the personal benefit, really, to actually do it. So similar to... Uh, you know, getting a, a badge of honor, essentially, or getting a permanent stamp um, of approval of recognition is uh, is something that you can then reference for your future employees. Perhaps you can use that um, to, uh, well, prove your legitimacy or expertise um, as you contribute to other projects or, um, again, within maybe your company. And... It's also a, it, it's in, in our experience really as a company and just my personal one as well, when it's done in a wholesome way in a very public matter, that also reduces the barrier to entry to attract um, other folks uh, to contribute or join the community because it helps the maintainers to position themselves as people, you know, who care, who do say thank you. Who are actively managing uh, the, the contribution efforts in the community? So it serves it serves sort of in a way marketing purposes uh, with what I just mentioned, but really ultimately um, it builds stronger relationships um, between uh, you know an open source project, which is I mean sometimes a community, but oftentimes it's like an entity. The way that we think about. Um, I don't know, JavaScript, you probably think about an entity first and then a community. Um, so between that and the individual, um, and it just feels nice uh, to be incentivized and then encourages you to to continue. Yeah, I agree. So I'm curious, I was just thinking about this. So I know there's a GitHub action available um, that folks could use with Holopin. Could you kind of walk us through the process like if i'm if you're the maintainer of a project and somebody's opened an issue and you've kind of had a conversation about it and you've agreed that this is a good thing to do and they go off and they do their work and tomorrow morning you wake up and you see the pull request so you'd go through that you'd review the pull request back and forth back and forth everything's good you're ready to merge now you merge the pull request like how and where could Holopin fit into that to add these moments of joy and recognition in this process? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we have a GitHub app, essentially. Um, I believe it's on, on the GitHub Marketplace as well. So you would install that as a maintainer, as a repo owner. Um, you would install that on your uh, project um, and also sign up to Holopen, have an organization account, upload some badges, create some badges, maybe first pull request, um, for instance, or a second pull request or first time contributor, anything like that. But that's that's done on the Holopen side. So within GitHub, um, there are two ways currently that you can issue those badges. Uh, one is automatic, one is uh, manual. So if you'd like to uh, say, for instance, uh, issue a badge whenever that um, pull request uh, is merged. You could uh, configure it so that whenever a particular pull request or an issue gets a label that mentions a keyword of your choice, um, then when that label is assigned, a Holopin bot will respond um, to the person who created the pull request with a claim link. And that claim link for a badge is completely individual, so only the person who's meant to receive it will be receiving it. So to summarize, maintainer puts in uh, a label on an issue, Holopin bot responds, and then you go from there. Um, claiming is a process that takes about two seconds, so you just log in with GitHub and claim. Um, and then the sort of more manual way, or if you want to include uh, a message for the for the person who um, contributed, you can also simply just tag the Holopen bot, so at Holopen bot, at recipient username, uh, this is within GitHub, um, and then the bot will also respond with a claim link. And that claim link, um, it will take them to, uh, to, to Holopen. So that's, uh, that's how it works, and I think we haven't really announced it yet, but we have the same thing for Discord now. So before for Discord, we only uh, did, uh, well, you could view someone's badges, but now we can also issue them the exact same way. And in addition to both GitHub uh, and Discord now as well, uh, I briefly mentioned Holobytes, which are kind of like micro recognitions. So not quite a badge, not a badge that you can stick to your badge board, but like a permanent kudos, like a permanent sparkle on your profile that you can also just reference um, elsewhere. So the Holopen uh, bots, all the ones that we release also handle that. So uh, it's all configurable um, within GitHub, it's uh, Holopen YAML file. Um, and the documentation is available on docs.holopen.io uh, on the left hand side there. Are there are bots. You can have a look at the have a look at the YAML. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds straightforward, easy to use. Um, yeah, that that sounds great. Um, I'm yet to to test to try the bot. Um, I mentioned to you that I did this little experiment to learn how to um, write GitHub Actions. So I created this welcome bot. And mm -hmm. you actually mentioned that an easy way to connect the two up would just be for the welcome bot to stick a label on on it, and then, like you said, Holopin would jump in and and take it from there. So I think that is like a really nice way also to even further automate it. Um, the one thing that I've 
that I've learned, um, and that's why it's great that there's also a manual way, because what I've found is even though people understand, especially when it's a big project, like having things automated doesn't necessarily mean that it's just you're doing it because everybody else is doing it, but you don't actually care. Um, they understand, like, to be, to go to each individual person and, like, do this manual process, that's totally doable when you have a project of, like, 10 contributors, maybe. Mm-hmm. But when you get to, like, 30, 50, 100, 1,000 contributors, it's like, it's not, <laughs> you can't. You're going to miss mm-hmm. people, first of all, and then some people are going to feel like, why didn't I get a badge? Um, but also, it's just not sustainable. So, I think what I'm trying to say with that is it's great that both both methods are available so that you can choose whatever works for you at what wherever your project is in the life cycle. But then I think it's also important that we just mention the fact that just just because something's automated doesn't mean it's just done for the sake of it being there. Um, the fact that somebody thought to do that signals something it signals that they do care because you could just as easily not do it right so the fact that you've thought about it and you're like hey i'm going to connect these two bots and they're going to bring this little moments of joy into this whole process and make it a little more fun i mean that to me seems intentional so i would see that for what it is and i wouldn't think badly because it's a bot responding um so I just wanted to say that because I, I've I've heard had some feedback that like oh but it's a bot and that's so impersonal. I was like I get it, but also understand it from a bigger picture. Yeah, that, that's that's actually a really interesting point. I'm now thinking about you know on Reddit auto moderators. I wonder who actually reads the auto moderator <laughs> responses, unless it is someone you know calling out uh, the bot specifically. So I think I think there's a there's a middle ground somewhere in between. Um, we've also had feedback that uh, there should be a way. So when you tag the bot, the the Holopin bot within GitHub, um, then you can include whatever message you like. The bot will just simply respond with a claim link. So it's like still like a human responding essentially. With labels and complete automation. Um, uh, we're thinking of allowing the issuer to specify a custom message, probably not within the YAML because then everyone can see it, that you're just copying and pasting to everyone, um, but for the badge uh, specifically to make it a little bit more more personal. Um, so uh, then there's a bit more context. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So Holopin isn't free. And neither should it be. I want to be very clear about that. I think we've we've passed the age of everything should be free, and we've recognized that that probably was a mistake. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's not free, and it shouldn't be. But with that said, um, Holopin does have an open source program. So I'd be curious to know a little bit more about that. What is the process involved there? Who's eligible? How does it work? Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Zero interest rate phenomenon. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, um, as you mentioned, uh, we are a paid SaaS. We're very committed to a sustainable business model due to the nature of uh, our product. The badges should be there forever. Um, and part of that is ensured through, well, us existing as a business. And another is through um, through some of the standards that we uh, we follow, which I'll touch on a bit later. But for open source product, uh, we do want to make Holopin available to as many 
um, as many folks as possible and really support and grow the open source community. So projects that are um, run by uh, sort of folks who don't receive salaries for their work and uh, nonprofits um, and completely volunteer-run organizations are eligible to apply on holopen.io slash open source um, and uh, be able to use holopen for free, including all of our integrations um, and uh, all of our, well, all of our integrations, all of our APIs um, and very generous quotas for uh, creating badges and uh, how many recipients um, you can issue them to. So currently in the program, we haven't done <laughs> we haven't done an announcement like a public announcement who's in the program yet, but that should be coming out. I was going to say this month, but it's the end of March. Um, that will be coming out in April. But to mention a few, yeah, I mean the one that comes to mind right now. Um, so Joomla, for instance. Um, who are one of the largest CMSs in the world. Um, we recently partnered with them. And so uh, so it, it's them. Um, then there are uh, really projects of various sizes. Uh, the main eligibility criterion is that um, they're volunteer run. Love it. Um, and another reason why Holopin isn't free and shouldn't be is because of the things you just mentioned. Like, this is not an ephemeral thing that can just go away. It should stay around. And um, yes, we'll talk about the standards aspects of it. But then also, that means there's quite a tech stack involved here. So do you want to share a little bit of how the how the badges are made, <laughs> so to speak? <laughs> yeah, the badge, badge factory. Uh, yeah, of course. Um, so... Our infrastructure is a bit, I think, different to how we how we started it, but essentially it is uh, we rely heavily on serverless. Um, so even for our uh, APIs that are uh, exposed to to the public, so it's for well the public um, for organizations to use. Uh, it's mostly monorepo, um, and we use Next.js. Um, for uh, our front end and the well, the back end really. So we really like Next because it allows us to. I mean, it's a very visual project, and the experience um, is really important. That I mean, both the front end and the back end really aligns. So having it, what Next offers really is a very tightly coupled API possibility um, to the front end. So. Uh, we can develop those in, in, in conjunction at the same time. Um, but then also uh, our API um, is consumed also by some of our other bots, so whether that be GitHub um, or Discord, or we now also have a Holopin AI badge uh, image uh, generator. Um, so all of those are individual applications, but we're very much still mostly a TypeScript chopped mostly a Next.js shop um, with uh, some lambdas and edge functions. And then for um, for the uh, backend, well, well, for some of the other tools that we use and enjoy, um, we really like PlanetScale 
um, and that's what we've been using for a database as a service. It is essentially a wrapper around MySQL. Um, what I like about it in particular is uh, having deploy requests. So a migration um, is less scary. So a database migration is less scary. Um, and we find that it really helps to onboard, um, onboard folks quicker. Um, as we deal with a lot of images, um, we do moderate our content. Part of that is manual and part of that is automated. So whenever someone creates a badge and then submits it um, to make it issuable, um, that will first uh, go through some of the content filters. Uh, we'll use uh, Transloadit. Uh, I used to used to work with them, full disclosure, um, which uh, is actually a really neat tool. Um, you can have a essentially a JSON set of instructions of what you want to be done to an image, whether it's optimization, whether it's uh, inappropriate content detection, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it just process it. Um, and you're still fully in control of your data. So we, we, we uh, have the, it, it's hosted in our AWS. Um, and they offer the manual processes that just go to the review queue and um, we just check that uh, there's no potential copyright issue or uh, anything inappropriate left there. I, but yeah, I think all of us who work, um, I mean, all of our team are engineers, so we all touch the code base and uh, move through various parts of the stack, whether that is having to design something and mock up a new page or build an entirely new integration. So, uh, so yeah, I really enjoy working with, uh, with the full stack team. Wow, that is that's a lot. Yeah, and I'm I, I, the moderation alone is it has scared me of um, some project ideas I've had where I was like, oh boy, wait a minute, avatars? I'm not sure. I want to go down that road. Um, I have not heard about Planet Scale nor Transloaded. That's super interesting. Um, especially the second one sounds really, really, really useful. Okay, so let's see. So we've talked, oh yeah, open badges, open badges. Um, we've talked about it before. How are things with open badges when it comes to Holopin? Uh, you cut off there very slightly, but so I'm just gonna wing it because I think I know what you, I think I know what you asked. So okay. uh, earlier, earlier this year, um, we uh, joined uh, the IMS, which is a learning consortium um, to uh, get our badges um, really certified to follow uh, a standard. So open badges is a standard that was originally developed by Mozilla about 10 years ago. And then it sort of, um, well, it was meant to be a standard representation and still is really a standard representation of a badge online. So it's a badge image plus uh, some JSON data um, about it, issuing date, expiration date, who's issuing it, um, who is uh, the intended recipient, et cetera, et cetera. And so the idea really long-term um, back then and now as well is that all the badge platforms follow a 
similar, uh, well, not really similar, but the same exact standard so that they are interoperable. So whenever someone builds an embedding integration for open badges, um, then all the developers of the standard um, and all the people who receive those badges can benefit from them. So Holopen badges don't follow the standard yet, um, not officially, at least. In the back end, they, they do. We've sort of always wanted to build it in a way that is... Uh, that is interoperable. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we have a written commitment um, that this is going to get done well, by the end of, uh, now it's end of March, so by the end of um, next quarter. And so what folks will be able to do is they'll be able to import badges from other platforms that they've received um, into Holopin and use them uh, as uh, essentially stickers uh, on their badge board because um, what we want to do is we want to make badges really more accessible and um, offer uh, a bunch of API integrations, um, which the standard on its own uh, doesn't support. So if folks can import things into Holopin, then that opens up uh, a bunch of new features and possibilities and fun. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. That sounds very exciting. And yeah, you heard correctly. Um, that was exactly what I was asking about. <laughs> so, stepping away from um, Holopin for for a bit, um, you mentioned earlier that you used to uh, work at GitHub, and um, I read about some of the work you did there, and you had a significant impact during your time as the product partnership manager at GitHub. Um, I spoke to Zach Copper the other day um, about uh, he's part of the open the OSPO at um, GitHub, and they were talking. He, I was talking with him about the open source bit that they did. They open source all the policies and documents and all that kind of stuff. And he mentioned that GitHub doesn't see itself as a big company. It still sees itself as a startup even today. Um, and so a lot of the ways that it works is very startup startupy. You wouldn't think that if you consider that it's owned by Microsoft and all that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, GitHub is, I mean, for whether people love it or dislike it or have strong feelings about it, um, I love GitHub and I think that they have improved the way we make software, especially in the open source world. So as somebody that works at GitHub or worked at GitHub, um, you inevitably had to do with like the open source ecosystem and stuff like that. Is there anything interesting that you learned while you did all these like partnership managers kind of things and about the open source ecosystem? Hmm. Something that, uh, so I can, I can share definitely some fun and interesting, uh, interesting things, uh, that I still have to, to, to this day, um, or still use to this day. Um, so, GitHub itself, um, so I was there 2019, 2020. So it was just after the, just after the acquisition. So it was uh, <laughs> kind of end of the startup era. Um, well, maybe still considers themselves startup era, I'm not really sure. Um, but into, into more structure uh, and more um, corporate ladder kind of thing. But uh, GitHub used and probably still uses um, GitHub itself for a lot of things, including partnership managing, um, including uh, 
procurement uh, items, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So everything is an issue. And to this day, uh, I very much uh, also use GitHub as a, as a CRM. So everything, an interesting thing about open source there um, is that those same workflows, uh, they can be adapted across a variety of use cases and, and industries, whether that is you know, having someone to review something um, or you want to flag something through an issue uh, that can be done through through that side. But that's more a, that's more of a GitHub quirk than uh, than an open source uh, thing in general. Um, so I worked uh, on the education side. Um, and so that was so my program specifically was uh, partnering with uh, other software development tool companies um, to offer tools to students for free. So the idea was, or is really, when students sign up to GitHub, verify their student membership, um, they get access to a suite of different tools, uh, over 100 um, at this point. Um, what we found um, is that, uh, well, the younger, really, the earlier folks join open source or start developing, um, the sort of more tied into the ecosystem um, they become. I don't mean GitHub as an ecosystem. I just mean the, the whole developer um, community, really. What else, what else would, I, would I be able to... Yeah, I think I blanked out. <laughs> nothing, nothing else to mind there. That's only fine. Yes, it I... happens. The, the the student pack is just phenomenal um like everything that's in there is just i can wow i mean that would that is really impactful um to have access to all that stuff and like you said it's not just github products it's it's a wide array of products um i know for one thing one of the things included is front-end masters and that by itself is is big there's so much good content on, on that they that they provide so yeah, that, that is amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, so you were also involved with HTTPi, and then there's a couple of other projects through the CNCF. Um, you also wrote a really good uh, getting started guide on Dev.2, specifically about HTTPi. So I wonder if you want to start off maybe talking about the uh, consulting work you did on the projects at CNCF, and there's another one that I blanked on at the moment, but those two. And then maybe... After that, talk a little bit more about HTTPi and how that fits into a developer's workflow. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, HTTPi, just for some context, um, is uh, an API uh, testing uh, tool, really. So it's kind of like curl, but it's more friendly. Um, it has a command line uh, integration, um, but it's also now a, a desktop application and a web one as well. So my role there, uh, it was an interesting one. It kind of touches on the on what we spoke about in the beginning about audience and community. Um, at the time that I had joined, um, HTTPi was a massive project. I mean, it still is. Uh, millions of downloads, um, users, tons of stars at GitHub, etc., but the users were sort of scattered all across. So some folks were on 
it wasn't called Git Chat. What's the What's the Git Chat called? It's not GitHub owned, but you, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about, but the name is <laughs> there's too many yeah. chat things now. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, they were kind of all across. You know, some folks were on Twitter, even though they were writing about HDPI. So uh, my role there was really to take um, or rather find the champions within the audience um, and try to create a long-term strategy for, strategy for how to turn that into a, into a community. Um, as uh, when more folks are involved in the project and there are clear goals and expectations, um, we can just all really move faster and, uh, and make great changes to the product. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I did there. Um, I was on developer relations side of things, really. So revamping the onboarding experience, um, inviting everybody and creating a discord, like I said, mentioning, uh, like I mentioned, finding those, uh, champions, um, and evangelists as those are usually, when you think about it, those folks are usually, uh, ones who drive others to a community. It means a lot more when you hear from another developer that something is good or that um, you should try a certain tool or you should certain, join a certain community um, versus when you see an ad or when you uh, read a blog post that comes from the company itself. Um, social validation, um, social proof really is a very, very important part in developer tools, um, especially when it's such a competitive market. There are so many developer tools um, and each one fixes the other one's problems, which I think is kind of funny. Um, some of the other projects um, I've worked on, uh, both of the engineering side, so doing consulting, um, some of that work had been on the engineering side strictly. I still love coding. I should code less, but I still love coding. Um, and some of that was really from the strategy um, and partnerships and developer relations side. So I had a chance of working at some of these, I don't want to say less exciting, but less sort of for the individual kind of projects. Um, so KubeCost, uh, for instance, uh, were uh, one of my clients, um, and they're an enterprise tool to help companies estimate Kubernetes costs. Now, on the, I mean, on the surface of that, it doesn't sound like it's not a cool JavaScript utility, you know, like, you know, you can just try and test it out yourself. Like you're not going to launch a uh, cost estimation dashboard on your personal blog Kubernetes cluster. Like that's not going to happen. So it's a very specific tool for a problem that only really affects well, large companies. Um, and uh, another sort of project in that space um, was Rafay's Powerless, which is a, uh, a zero trust, um, well, essentially it's an access management tool also for Kubernetes. So again, it's not really something that you play around with. Um, I mean, when we're talking multi-cloud environments and then, you know, you come in with, um, with a blog um, as an individual. So what I really enjoy working with what I really enjoy about working with uh, with those sort of less less personal, less individual tools is that the challenge there is different. Um, and so, pitching the fact that they're open source or 
inviting folks to join the community because it's fun and you're going to learn a ton. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. If anything, um, there's a bit of a disillusionment with the word community within those circles, especially. I mean, these are folks who are often DevOps people, solutions architects, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, not necessarily developers per se. Um, so with, uh, with those companies, um, yeah, I've worked both on, uh, again, the whole developer relation strategy suite of things. So really focusing on what's useful for the individual and not forgetting who the, the, the them person is. So integrations was one of them. Which integrations do we need? What do we build? Collaborate with others to, to, to create them. Um, essentially making those people more productive um, and achieve the business goals faster, quicker. And I mean, really what a lot of developers are needing to do is make their managers happy, right? But I mean, like from like a good like I don't mean that as a as a like a snarky thing. Like this is this is great. Um, make their yeah. entire organization <laughs> happy, and in turn, like in turn, that that's also uh, a positive thing. Um, and then, uh, well, for Parallel specifically, it was a uh, a brand new open source project um, from a very enterprisey uh, company. So. Uh, creating those sort of um, onboarding flows again, um, as well as uh, writing and figuring out tutorials for you know how to get to the hello world as quick as possible when it's a tool that's like that hefty, which is such a challenge normally in, in, in this environment. Um, also figuring out you know which circles do these developers sit in, what exactly do they need, and uh, and when it comes to community, um, the angle there is often support. So what can we do to support people? Like they don't necessarily you don't necessarily need a community as uh, as a product, um, but you do need to help people be more effective and productive. So uh, so that's uh, that's that. But yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, I think I miss it in a way. I, I mean, I, I definitely do. Um, working on these like deep infrastructure uh, tools, uh, it's it's it kind of takes you away from from Twitter, from that flashy, you know, new framework thing or new small utility for something. And it's like, oh yeah, and and that's the majority of developers, really. I think that's also easy to forget. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's fascinating. And I can hear when you talk about it that um, it was something that you really enjoyed and, I don't know, brought you a lot of fulfillment in doing. Um, but hey, now you, you get to build Holopin to the point where you need that calculator, right? If you don't already need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So my, my team are trying to shine me away from Kubernetes. Um, so we're like sticking, you know, to... With, with server less for now, um, but it's it's coming. We're gonna have a lot of YAML soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was a great conversation, and um, I really um, I really love the product that you're building, and uh, I hope it continues to gain more adoption and more and more success. I especially uh, love the fact that you are 
supportive of the open source ecosystem and open source projects, nonprofits as well plays into that. Um, and adopting standards. Uh, for some people, they might be a little, they might even be scared off by it. Be like, but if we use something that anybody can just, then they can just take our stuff and go away. And so I, sometimes people see that as, as a, as a weakness to use a standard as opposed to a benefit. Um, it depends on how you look at it, right? I don't know if you've thought about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Holopen itself is closed source. Um, and we get this question sometimes, why aren't you open source? Um, and the the reality is that, so there are a couple of reasons. One is that if we think about digital badges and we think them being on various different platforms, um, that's part of the fatigue that we're trying to address by kind of combining everything into one thing so that you don't have your... Um, points on one app, badges or trophies on another. Um, but instead, everything under the hood, um, it's Holopin that runs it. And you just need really one account. Because if you lose something, well, somewhere, um, and then need to recover it, um, that's a bit of an issue. So, you know, hosting your own instance of Holopin doesn't really make practical sense. And we don't think that that's a, a, a good, really, solution that we should be driving companies to. If anything, um, we do get asked, like, can we have private badges that we only use within the company? Um, and even though it's probably a bit, you know, from a sales perspective, yeah, we could say, and we, we can do that. Um, host your own you know we will host it for you or you can host your own instance of holopin etc and have badges for your employees but bear in mind that may not work um because lots of others have tried and then there's there's a there's a risk that that is perceived as like superficial or kind of you know oh hr again they decided to like do something that's uh meant to be more engaging and motivating but really it's just a bit eh. Um, whereas we're very focused on, you know, even the badges that you receive from your private employer, they should still live with you forever. It's fine if it's a sticker that doesn't say much or has a weird descriptor or something. The point is you can keep it forever. The same same way as a laptop sticker. So that's that's uh, that's uh, that's one reason. So uh, another another. Um, Thing with the when it comes to standards, um, so as we are moving towards um, adopting open badges, um, that is also uh, you know if our badges follow that standard, then they can be also transferred um, across to other uh, other systems. The only thing that is protected is the the, the business logic. Um, as that is not uh, that's not really related to the badge standard itself. Like you still very much can own your badges and your data and what you receive them for. Um, and also having uh, well having a single holopin is less confusing um, than 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 a bunch of other things. And uh, it allows, I mean, with with things like. Um, Standards make a lot of sense in developer tools um, that are not two-sided or that are only 
meant to be used in very gated environments, whether that is within a company or it's just on your machine or just within a single environment, etc. Um, and so that's what we are implementing with open badges. So that's something, the relationship there is between you and a badge, so it's just the individual. For the entire platform, um, I mean, it lets us do better moderation um, as well and revoke, revoke a badge um, if something uh, something happens. I mean, another option um, that we have considered in the beginning when it comes to standards was using uh, NFTs. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. pre the NFT crash, pre the crypto crash, so it was still a pretty exciting new technology. Um, and there are some platforms that issue badges as NFTs, but we sort of observed that um, and we learned that there are issues with things like you know badges being stolen um, or transferable. Um, so yeah, we pick the standards that we think make the most sense for the very end user um, and keep things gated where we also think that benefits um, not just us as a company and our, I mean, helps our sustainability, but uh, but everyone individually at the end of the day. Yeah, that's sound reasoning. Um, somebody told me once that if you haven't built any value on top of the standard, you're in trouble already. So, you know, the standard is not the problem. It's that you're not adding any value over just adopting a standard. And I think, and what I think I know that Holopin adds a lot of value on top of the standard. The standard would just be one other thing that just makes it better for you as a company, because like you said, it helps potentially with moderation and stuff like that. And then for the end user, feeling that their their badges are safe always because it's interchangeable, because it can be moved potentially. Um, but everything that the badge offers doesn't come with the standard. Like you've built a lot of value on top of that. And that's what differentiates right. Holopin from just the next, th next thing. So I think when you think about it like that, adopting standards has more benefits than the negatives could ever ever be as long as you build value on top of that in closing uh, a hot topic at the moment um, so you kind of mentioned that there is an AI image generator um, that's kind of available to folks inside Holopin um, you also gave a workshop at I hope I'm going to pronounce correctly Hack the Berg titled How to Build an oh, AI App yeah yeah <laughs> um, so I have a couple of questions about the topic. And this this is like, be 100% honest with your thoughts. I'm more interested in, in hearing people's thoughts than judging them or trying to convince them that my thoughts is the right, th the right thoughts <laughs> or the best thoughts. Um, we're in an interesting point in time. I think we all can recognize that. Um, it's exciting. It's scary. It's um, confusing. It's a lot of things all at once like that other movie that won all the Oscars, everything, everywhere, all at once. It feels like that a little oh, bit. Oh, I watched that on the plane yesterday. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. But I, I just, like everybody's talking about it. And it feels like the name just fits the moment. Um, so, a couple of questions. First, just the obvious one. What was the workshop about? Um, and then, what are you excited about regarding the current 
explosion of AI. But then on the flip side, what are your concerns? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think my kind of thoughts and opinions shift uh, all the time there. I finally um, I finally muted um, AI, GPT and a bunch of other keyboards on Twitter, except from the people that like I follow. Um, I should probably do that on LinkedIn because uh, now uh, I mean, now I know how to write 25 super engaging uh, marketing email titles, but um, but to go back. So the workshop, um, I went to uh, a hackathon that I used to organize. Um, I had been an organizer there for three years, some years ago um, in Edinburgh. So it's hack the bra, um, although I also say hack the burg. So it's it's okay. It's 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 okay. I think I think most of us say it, but don't, don't just don't tell the current organizers. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I give a workshop on how to build an AI app in thirty minutes, and it literally took thirty minutes. I live coded the, the the app, so it just highlights how easy it is to build something on top of um, on top of existing APIs. That's an important thing to highlight. So there are a number of companies, um, some open source, uh, well, the largest one, not open source, um, but the other ones that are open source that, you know, have their own models, have their own AI magic, and then they offer that to consumers um, through, uh, through APIs. And I think what, <clears throat> so many thoughts there. I think before I even did that workshop, I didn't realize just how easy it is to consume those APIs and build something on top of them. And all of a sudden, like the entire Twitter feed and product hunt and everything made sense in that it's almost easier to build these things <laughs> than to use them. And so we're going to see a bunch of, uh, you know, dot-com bubble style um, tools and products that just heavily depend on one or two technologies that I mean if they're closed source especially nothing stops them from from releasing something of their own um so that was the that was the the workshop that I did oh well I didn't say what it actually was it was called chef AI so uh you can input a few ingredients that you maybe have in your fridge um and then the AI generates uh three recipes that uh, or four recipes or five, whatever, that you can uh, cook uh, based on how much time you have and uh, and what ingredients you've got. So very simple application, but for a hackathon, um, yeah, lots of people were excited to to try it out, something that we see launched all the time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a couple of people ended up using the, the APIs for their end, um, end projects. Um, Generally, I mean, when it first came out, I was pretty. How did you feel about it when it first came out? In my in my head, immediately I was like, compliance, compliance, compliance. Like this is not gonna fly in large companies. Um. Yeah, I can see that as a problem. I I was thinking about it from a different perspective. Um. Where to start? Let me think. Um, so the thing that bothers me almost the most is that all of these tools, like for example, I shared a, a link to the BARD website, like Google's um, incarnation of this. Um, so it has BARD 
in uh, big dark gray letters. And then in light gray, it says, an early experiment by Google. And that is the part that I almost feel most concerned about, is the fact that the creators are acknowledging that it's an early experiment, but they're putting it out in the public, not completely understanding what this thing is capable of doing. And then afterwards, they're kind of rallying around trying to fix all the problems that, that pop up. But what damage has it done in the meantime? Um, and then I'm concerned about people in um, third world countries, people in countries that are still developing, not having access to these things. Because if you look at the price, the price point for a lot of these products, it's it's expensive. It's not cheap. And it's because it's still incredibly expensive to train these models and to make these products. Um, so there's a lot of people that have potentially access to pretty powerful tools um, and a whole bunch of people that's left behind because they can't afford it. Um, and those same people are the people who are hear the news that your job is going to be replaced by this. So they are in a very, very tough situation. And then I wonder, so over oh, that, that then adds to the damage that I'm referring to, people's mental health, the amount of stress that some people might be in. I also worry about early stage developers that just switched careers or just started getting into tech thinking yeah. this is a great time. And then there's like a mm. ton of layoffs and um, people are showing all these demos where you draw something on a napkin and the next moment the AI spits out an application from just the napkin. And they're thinking like, oh my goodness, what? where am I going to find work? My work is like, it's over, it's done. What am I, what do I do now? And I spent maybe $3,000 on a boot camp. Um, so those kinds of things scare me because it doesn't feel like people thought about that and put things in place to address that and then do the experimentation. They've kind of thrown the experiment out and said, let's see what happens and then we'll react to it. And it seems like there's a lot of stuff like that that's happening in the world, and that concerns me. Yeah, I see. I, I definitely see your points. I think personally, I go back and forth. It's it's exciting because I feel like in, in some way, if it really is capable of, you know, what we're being pitched to, that it is, that some of the solutions will be proposed by it whatever it is um i think i also have faith in uh in some of our some of our governments to uh well enforce some type of regulation um and uh compliance there yeah what you what you mentioned about junior developers i also i also think about that quite a bit um it's uh it's strange but then at the same time you know something like the internet was uh a technology that again some people had some hadn't very very powerful um maybe even going back to the much much earlier times maybe it's a particular skill um I'm trying to think of something specific but i mean first it's something that is in the niches and then it's something that becomes pretty mainstream um 
I think, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty in the in the job market, how that will change how that will change the work um having i mean having friends in lots of different uh, companies that aren't sort of the facebooks and the googles um with the layoffs but from you know there are plenty of other software companies besides those um maybe less exciting industries not developer tools um their jobs are pretty safe and they're not at all concerned there. Um, it's very specific to what they do. There's, I mean, the the bureaucratic processes or whatever is is the thing that's, uh, you know, the the bottleneck. It's not the the writing speed or the, the, the development speed or anything like that. But I, I, yeah, I, I do wonder how that will affect folks getting into the industry. Now you got me into thinking mode. Now I've got like 20 different thoughts running in my head. <laughs> uh, there goes my uh, muting AI and GPT on Twitter. Yeah, no, and, and it, that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think, so the, the, the open letter that was, yeah. maybe it was yesterday that it was, it hit the news. Um, don't know how long it's been around. Uh, people like Steve Wozniak and folks like that who signed it saying, let's, let's just pause all of this for a bit and let's just think about this. Um, I signed it. I, I have hope. But um, at the same time, there's a lot of momentum and a lot of money here at play. And um, the fact that we are still building new coal factories makes me lose a little bit of hope. Um, we know the damage that's doing to our planet for a long time, yet in the country where I live, South Africa, they're still building what they're calling one of the biggest coal plant, energy plants in the world. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Um, this is not something to brag about. And I know why they're doing this, because money. There's money tied up in this. Um, there's all kinds of underhanded polit political stuff that I don't want to get into right now, but involved in that. Um, and so that's the one thing that's a bit concerning. There's there's very very little competition um, in the market right now. Um, like OpenAI has pretty much got the biggest piece of the pie by far now, and there's a lot of money in there as well. Um, Microsoft is heavily invested in this. So I hope I hope people will find time to pause and just reconsider um, where this is going. What is this all for in the end of the day? What are we trying to do with this? How is this going to improve humanity? How is this going to make everybody's lives better um, going forward? What real pro problems can be solved using this, this technology? And not just trying to make a bunch of shiny tools and making some bucks off people for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, Mozilla's doing some stuff around that as well um, with the, uh, what's it called? The AI, Responsible AI Challenge. Um, so, you know, there's some good stuff happening there. Um, I really, I, I have hope in that one. And the reason for that is way back in the day when I started contracting at Mozilla, the reason I joined was because I loved the Rebel with a Cause thing that they had going. You know, like Firefox was disrupting the browser market and giving people choice. And, and then Mozilla had bigger mission around making a better internet for all and all that kind of stuff. And it felt to me like they lost that. Um, 
And maybe, maybe, maybe this could be the next thing they do, where they're gonna, where they're gonna like create options. Because I think that's the thing we miss um, right now is if I'm not gonna build on the GPT model APIs, what are my options? And really, there's very little out there. Um, so just having options would be already a good thing because then developers can vote by using APIs from companies they trust or projects they trust, like Leon or Hugging yeah, Face I mean, or I, I think one of these companies or whatever comes out of this a, AI challenge from Mozilla. The fact that it's closed is, it's yeah. I think that's the kind of scary-ish part. Like when we talk about the internet, the protocols are open, right? Um, and it's clear how it works, um, IP, TCP. Uh, there are several players that are open source and incoming to image generation at the moment that is uh, stabil well, Stability AI, so folks behind Stable Diffusion. Um, and uh, I'm not sure about MidJourney, whether that is open source, but it might be. Um, but I think that if we if we look at um, but yeah, I mean, stability are pretty big proponents of open source, and I think that if it's not probably going to be the this is a pure speculation, but if it's not going to be a regulatory regulatory thing, um, then it might just be a competitive thing to create more transparency around these models and make them cheaper and more sustainable, etc. So that ultimately it gets that you know internet status because i mean i don't i don't think it's going away um in fact i highly doubt it's going away um it yeah it just won't i i also haven't um read the ledger yet but i will after after this conversation um but i know what what it, what it talks about so the best thing that we can do probably is to introduce some some compliance um, or legal bits around it um, and educate people on you know how to how to leverage things and I also will mention that <laughs> I think I tweeted about this uh, when my dad was like testing out chat GPT uh, I think I like missed a call from him or something or like he missed a call from me and then he sent me this like very heartfelt like apology that he missed my call like maybe you know heartfelt I mean like two or three sentences he never does that I'm like oh wow like that's actually very kind and he's like yeah chat GPT like good stuff I'm like oh my god like come on so the need for human connection and conversations and texts that involve stuttering and filler words and are just really human that need will only increase i think in the world of where everything is generated and everything is fake um i mean the handmade goods um crafts are more expensive than and more value than factory generated so yeah. it will probably be a combination of it some things will be commoditized um and some bits won't yeah, well said. I 100% agree with that. Um, somebody asked me the other day on one of the slacks, um, what do I look for in a podcast? And the first thing I look for is humanity. If it's overproduced, then 
I'm not interested. I want to hear stories and I want to hear them as raw as possible. So that's that's the first thing that I look for. And a lot of people agreed with that. And I think that is exactly what you're into that now. Um, the need for that is, is going mm-hmm. to increase if so much of our world is going to become like just cookie cutter. One thing is just like the other kind of deal. Then being able to create stuff that's authentic and unique um, is going to be so important. And I feel that um, the course that you've taken with Holopin and the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, the moderation aspect of it, but just ensuring that it, it fits with with yeah. the image, if I to use that word. Uh, fit with the image of Olipin. So this idea of authenticity, of uniqueness, of being personal. Um, I think creating products that has that is going to set you apart from even something that maybe technically is more advanced, but people are going to go for that because it's just going to, there's a connection there and that you can't find maybe with the other one. So thanks for indulging me here for the last like 20 or 25 minutes of the conversation talking about AI. Um, it was really great um, to talk about it. And um, yeah, in general, just thank you for the conversation. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Mechanical Inc. podcast. Join the conversation on Discord. All the links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have a moment, please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, as this helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners.